Ryan Strzok, Capital 21 Podcast. Ryan, what are we looking at? What do you see? Oh, man, that was a rusty hole in my van, man. I, uh, I developed a slow leak. I, I live in a van. I'm a, I'm a quote-unquote van lifer for, yeah, this hole just kind of sprung a leak. And it, it was manageable in the sense of I could ignore it for a sec because it was like barely a drop. Um, and then I was away for a bit. I got back, and this thing was just like full-blown just like a sieve linking leaking water into the van so i uh, i had to tackle it man i had to scrape all this that junk to me away. actually is a beautiful picture because i don't know what it is did we, did you recognize this in a second <laughs> of course yeah of course i, I spent hours with that thing on today's episode of the capsule 21 podcast we spoke with photographer and filmographer ryan struck about his journey about how he got his first digital camera, about how he became a van lifer for life, about how he has photographed garbage and the things that hold garbage, garbage cans, about his process in general, concrete advice for succeeding in Web3, and some other artists, including Richard Most and Infrared Film. I'm Ryan Strzok. I'm a photographer and filmmaker and self-proclaimed digital baby. Talk about Web3, creativity, NFTs. Beautiful in a way, but but as as I learned from the video, which was very soothing, by the way, and we'll put it in the uh, in the show notes. We don't have show notes, but we'll show a portion of it. This actually isn't the hole. This is the hole behind the hole. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That was like that's like the outer shell of the hole. The hole's just underneath in that shadow, and that was like uh, you know that was what was it was supposed to protect the hole, and uh, you know it it did for I guess twenty twenty two years now. I love it. I love it. So to zoom back a little bit uh, and talk about van life and its role in, um, you know, your development. And this is a, uh, a video from Ryan's uh, YouTube and he has a very nice YouTube and, and, and um, he's offered graciously to uh, help with the technology of the Caps 21 podcast, which is not as nice, but someday we'll do an outdoor episode. This is what it looks like at the start of the video. And, you know, not to play this whole video, but it's quite, right, it's quite so soothing. that suck? Right where I think our leak you is? the wind blowing, okay. And then you uh, see the soothing aspect of... Um, one sheet? You know, I'm oh, sorry, that's not leaks. the one that I wanted. The soothing we'll aspect of... Uh, I'm all over the place here. here. Being in Home Depot. Wow, look at this place. Soothing <laughs> aspects, which is kind of like, okay. Wall to wall. Imagine walking stuff. into Home Depot and knowing... to go crazy with a fancy brush what everything does in there. You know what I mean? Like there are some people like that. You uh, have this nice thing where you're saying like, oh, I'm fixing this and it's not so easy. I'm trying to figure it out. But obviously the person watching this is just thinking like, oh my God. So, you know, get a little more context into the van life aspect. Like when you go into Home Depot, you know, how did you become someone who could buy something at Home Depot? Man, I mean, Home Depot, before I kind of knew what some things did, it was a relaxing place to go. I mean, if, <laughs> I know that sounds strange, but you can walk in there and just look at everything. And it's almost like a museum, like, because when you walk into a museum and you look at art, you're like, wow, what is that? Like, you think about the art. I, I, would, I, could, I could still walk around Home Depot and I could stare at something. And I'm like, man, what does that do exactly? Um, but, you know, anyways, like build, building the van, I think, taught me what all those things did. Like, I, I had... I have some friends who are like gearheads, man. Like my buddy Dan is uh, could build anything. He could take apart your car engine, put it back together. He's like a machinist by trade. Another friend of mine, also named Dan, is an electrician, and so like he helped me out with the solar. So I feel like I leaned on these friends of mine to help me understand exactly what I was doing. And to be honest, it was it's really intimidating trying to fix something or build it. 
especially if it's mechanical or you've never done it before, like woodworking. Well, I, I, I was definitely scared to do shit, but like one of the first big things I did on the, the van was cut a hole in the roof. Literally, I took a jigsaw, cut a hole in the roof for the van. And like, I was, I was there like kind of hemming and hawing. Like I, I, I did all the preliminary stuff and I was like, uh, my buddy's like, all right, time to cut a hole in the roof. And I was like, you just, you just kind of dive in, you just jump in. And by making those Home Depot runs, you kind of get a, a lay of the land. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's trial by fire, really. I think when you look at this, what I see is, because uh, I was in New York and FTNYC, made a ton of amazing connections, made a ton of money, and also went to a couple museums for the first time uh, in a long time. Went to the MoMA, and, uh, you know, you can see, like, the Warhol thing. And it kind of looks like this in a way. Like, you know, it is very contemporary vibe to this presentation, you know, the paints and everything. But, you know, Piv, you know, and the, the French have a term called bricolage, so that's one element of non-American Home Depot vibe. But like how much of this, in your opinion, this kind of stuff we're talking about now is a distinctly American phenomenon? Uh, I, I don't think so. We, well, the, it's up, up, obviously much larger than we know them, but we also have this uh, bricolage of shops, yes. Do you have a concept of Home Depot in your uh, popular imagination? What do you mean by concept? The, this isn't even that good. I think in the... Uh, is an experience wall-to-wall -wall construction stuff. yeah it's it's definitely much much larger but all right we, we have, the, shop and the it's scale called, of this thing is incredible the shops that have that be uh, here are called brico so it comes from bricolage so they have the bricolage but for bricolage i think of that not knowing anything and not speaking french as kind of like a you know a smaller scale kind of craft versus the um you know, the Home Depot where you really feel like you could do, where you could do absolutely anything. Oh, okay. So, 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 uh, you fix the hole and in the process of fixing it, you kind of touch on some of the themes that go beyond the hole. Cause it's not really just about the hole. You could probably find someone to do this whole thing for you for not that much money. You get into van life, you get into this idea of self-sufficiency, another American notion that Piv, I've talked about it. He knows about it. What is van life to you? How did you get into van life and how does that kind of shape your, you know, vibe in life um well i was living in new york city for about seven years and i i moved there initially as a photographer because i thought that you know, i could meet creative people i could i could get more work i could really you know make a, a career there and in in many ways that did happen what i what happened was like i i fell into filmmaking like i didn't get much work as a photographer there i i got work on set as like a a camera assistant sometimes when I was lucky enough, uh, but mostly a PA, a production assistant. So I was like the gopher on the set. I would drive the van. I would pick up all the crafty. I would make sure everybody's good. And, you know, I consider myself like a hard worker, dedicated. I, I like to hustle. I don't, I'd rather work than not, you know? So like as the PA on set, with already, I, I was already like a, a photographer. I had traveled the world, um, but in New York, I didn't have connections. So the way that I met people, was just working really hard on these film sets. Some of them were commercials, short documentaries, like that. Um, I would work work hard, get my job done, and then I would go talk to the camera department. Like I was the guy asking all the questions or I was like, hey, do you need an extra set of hands? Can I help you out? Like I, 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 I basically just talked to anybody. Whereas like it can be so stratified on a film set in like, Oh, uh, maybe the PA is not supposed to talk to the director or blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't see those lines. So 
like I, I kind of have like maybe a weird sense of humor or dry sense of humor. And I found humor a way in to sort of lighten the mood. And, and I learned so much about filmmaking. Um, and I did that for, for seven years and I built my career as a photographer and eventually a director, a filmmaker. And so uh, for some reason, I just felt like I was like, it's time to leave New York. I lived in Harlem and then uh, in Bushwick and then eventually out to Rockaway Beach. So basically I kept stepping my way further outside of New York City while still technically calling myself New York City based. But I figured it was time to leave. And, and most of my favorite projects, like I was getting on a plane and leaving New York City. So I had work in in town, but also what I loved to do most, I was I was leaving. Um, so I decided I wanted to travel a bit. And that was uh, the fall of 2019. I, I left New York City and I wound up going to uh, California just on a whim. I had, it was, it was February, I think 2020 by then. I rented a minivan for a month. I just, I, <laughs> I got to the van rental, the, the car rental place. And I said, hey, uh, do these seats fold down? And the guy just looks at me square in the eyes because I full full well planning, I was just going to sleep in this minivan. And he looks at me square in the eyes and he goes, oh, you're not going to sleep in this thing, are you? And I go, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> like, no, no. I'm going to move some furniture. I like, I said something on the spot or maybe I didn't say anything at all, but like, forget exactly how it went. But like the guy literally said that to me and I couldn't tell if he was joking or he meant it. Um, but I drove like 3,500 miles that trip in the span of a month, just seeing all of California. I swear that you did sleep in it. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to oh. uh, now confirm on video that you broke the, the law. <laughs> I, I fully slept in it. I brought a sleeping bag out. Um, and I just, I, I, the seats folded right into the floor. It was a Dodge Caravan. Those things are so sick, by the way. Like <laughs> it was so comfy great gas mileage. And uh, I mean, yeah, I just slept on the floor, no padding, which probably looking back on it was a mistake. But like, the excitement of like doing something new, like you don't feel you don't feel the discomfort, you just like see the wonder, basically. And um, yeah, that really just like sparked something within me. Like years ago, I remember saying I wanted to live in the van and people were like, Well, what? Where are you gonna take a shower? Like, you know, like, people poo pooed it and I didn't fully pursue it. Um, and a year before I did this, I actually applied to get a loan. And for some reason, I didn't get one. Um, I've got excellent credit, by the way. So that was, that's weird. But like, it worked out the way it was supposed to because uh, the pandemic wound up hitting. I was mm -hmm. in California and everything was locking down. And I was like, damn, I don't want to leave. And I, and I left. I left. I went back to New Jersey. I crashed with a friend. Um, I found my van, which needed a complete overhaul inside and, and, you know, I replaced the rear axle like crazy shit I had to do to this this thing that I now call home. And um, Ryan and has been so, so gracious to uh, send us some photos of his uh, of his van. And this is this is one of them. Notice the detailing here. It's unbelievable how much work this must have been. And, um, you know, another great shot of his van. This is uh, <laughs> Ryan and his family. But the, the point being, I, I just want to say this, like if you are listening to this and you're thinking, oh, van life, that's like a thing. It's like way bigger than you could ever imagine. If you ever uh, have a friend who either lives in Portland or has some kind of Portland adjacent meme, they know all about this. And, you know, you can really get extreme on, 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 on van life. I know pretty much zero about it, but I know you can like, you know, look, a thing comes up, you can spend a ton of money on this. But what is interesting about van life is that, I'm making this up, by the way, that it unites kind of people who are trying to spend a lot of money and people who are kind of trying to DIY into basically one activity, which is, you know, kind of, uh, you know, being self-sufficient. 
in the van. You know, it's funny. I, I listened to a bit of a podcast you did because uh, I'm always trying to, you know, be aggressive. Like, I hate this podcast. Like, I want to kill it. You know, it was for a while ago. But you mentioned being stifled, feeling stifled in New York City. And, um, you know, as someone who used to live in New York City myself, whenever I hear someone saying, I felt stifled in New York City. Right? It's just, get me out. I hate this. <laughs> I want to get out of here. And I'm the same way. I, I live uh, upstate in New York, and I agree uh, that it's terrible there uh, and has no redeeming qualities. Which of these vans, you know, first of all, let me ask you this question. Have you ever Google image searched van life? No. I mean, maybe. <laughs> but no, this is the, the, anti, the antithesis of what I do. And for the longest time, like, I mean, even still to this day, I don't like readily go out there and like tell people I'm a van lifer. Cause like people think you live this life that you're showing right here. Like, and I'm like, oh my van, I can't even stand up in my van. Look my at this sink, look at the sink. <laughs> it's got the curvy sink thing. I know those are so sick to be honest. Those are so sick, but like the people like, I don't know, doing that. I can't imagine they're, they're kind of really, I mean, you could spend a long time, but like you could spend a lot of money on those. They're like 200 grand. And most of those people just do weekend trips been fully mm -hmm. living in mine and, and i i don't know it's it's a different vibe that's cool and all i'm not trying to knock it but that's not that's not the the vibe i go for like i mean that basically where i park or like where i i, I live or the streets like i find like that basically says break into me probably a bunch of cool shit in here that we could hawk uh somewhere in portland for like a few hundred bucks you know so i'm I uh, I try to be low key, and and that's probably who I am as a person in general. But yeah, no, this is uh, this looks cool, but I I've never done anything like this. I love it. I love it. Piv, what what do you, I feel like van life is a European you know flavor to it versus like driving a huge camper Winnebago type thing. Well, I don't think there are that many people who really live in it. I I don't think so. Also, I think it's it's much more difficult here. Also, can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Why? why you, uh... you, I, I'm not sure how it is there, but here you really have to uh, have a, an address where you live. Even these tiny houses, it's it's almost impossible that they're, they're trying to do these tiny houses, but it's impossible because it's not allowed. So it's it's. I think it's much more difficult here. Right. In America, can you not have a home address? Is that possible something goes on your license my license and i'm not trying to dox myself as being like super old and, and wise or my license just got expired and now i guess i need a home address to renew that and on the passport thing i had to write it you're really just renting all of this stuff because it all expires i did you have a home address during what, what when you were i mean you're tra you're oh, moving yeah. you're traveling across the country when you're moving you don't have a home address necessarily yeah i have uh i have an address um i can mouse but like during this big move like i'm out of here i'm going west yeah yeah i mean i have i still have the address it's on the east coast uh my license is still on the east coast um i don't really need mail though you know like i don't do we really need mail? like everything's paperless and if, uh, so one thing that's convenient is i use uh the amazon dropboxes so like I want to order something, I can just order it straight to a Dropbox. Also, if I wanted to send something, I could probably use like a uh, one of those postage services. I've never done that. I actually did that when I was in New York City to receive mail, like when I was away. That things didn't show up at my apartment, but um, no, I don't. I don't know. It's I, the concept of of an address, I guess, and maybe we're even dancing around the topic of home. Um, I, I have everything with me, you know. I, I there's certain things that I left at a friend's house that's like in their attic, like. Uh, all my archived uh, photos, so my hard drives are not with me. 
and also things like my high school yearbook, you know, like strange sentimental things that like you just can't throw away, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I guess I actually use this thing called Earth Class Mail, which is one of those address things. It's like a virtual mailbox that people send stuff to. So I, but yeah, I think it's, I do, but I, I, uh, well, when I was in New York City, I moved around a decent amount and COVID and everything. And where I am now, I kind of just don't want to like, it's very weird, actually. If you think about it, you have a driver's license, okay? You give that to someone, and now they know where you live. Like that's kind of like a big uh, jump. So like, I just don't want people to know, uh, you know. But then again, so, you know, it's probably not that big of a that big of a deal. But yeah, it's like a privacy kind of. I don't know. I live in the country. It's well, that's anyway. Cool. Okay, like so that. that's cool. I like that, man. I think that's interesting. I think that's also like probably like the ethos of Web three. You know, like our our digital identities kind of are are an outer shell or who we are. Like, I mean, there's some people, um, I want to say maybe it was like Bordy and Elon Musk has talked about it quite a bit where, you know, he's obviously built this, if you call it like uh parody identity or whatever, but like it's this outer shell. You don't necessarily know who that person's identity is, but you know who they are online. And, and I think it, in a way it, it masks, uh, it allows us to, to not attach the identity we put forward with like the person itself, almost like, uh, you know, we don't know exactly who Satoshi Nakamoto is who invented Bitcoin. And I think if that was tied to an actual person's identity, it would change our thoughts maybe of Bitcoin itself, you know? So I think there's a lot of validity to, to that. And I, I, I'm down with stuff like that. I don't know. I think it's cool and, and interesting. I like it too. I mean, I feel like it's a little distortion. One effect of this, I believe, is that it puts a very great premium on being funny, basically, because if you are not funny, but you're in real life, you can kind of be, you know, genuine works better on real life. Whereas in, in on the internet, genuine can just be like phoning it in. Like, I like that, or you're cool, or it's like it's, you're phoning it in. Whereas you can't fake being funny, you know, even on the internet, it's real, it's being funny. So that's why I think, and I think this has been a generic thing of just the level of comedy in uh, internet culture and, and general culture generally, I think has gone up, I would say, because of uh, this. No one is trying to get a serious, unless you're the creator of Bitcoin, then you don't have to be funny. But like from a generic person out there, no one's trying to get a serious take. Whereas if you're in person, you can tell someone, hey, like, here's my, you know, uh, uh, idea. But I think, you know, basically every single person and that was a big surprise, actually, when I got into NFTs. I was like, wow, every single person's funny. It's really uh, a weird thing. But you have to be. You'll get crushed. You really will get crushed. I believe that. And um, and yeah, so uh, let's take a look now. So what else? Um, I want to keep the van life element in mind, but I also want to, you know, get the full picture, of course. And so now another cold open. By the way, everything is going to get cut from this point. This is the real cut. No, that was all, it's all great content. What is, what is this? Oh, nice. That's a portal, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you pulled that up. That's, uh, that was collected by uh, a, a really talented artist in this space, Georgina Hooper, who it's, you know, it's through NFTs as an artist, you make these connections that you know were possible. And many of them are, are solely online, but that was out of, um, that's from my collection. I, I photographed while I, I, I've been living in the van. It's, it's become to, it just becomes something that's really symbolized my, you know, so I guess I'm like really just dancing around it, but that, that was a photograph I made after I had um, a vision, let's say. And I, it really felt like it matched the way that I felt and, and the things that I saw. And, and, and I'm really obsessed with like space and time and, and dimensionality. And 
you know, it's it's like a black hole. It's it's sucking up some of those leaves. This was fall time, actually. This is a it's it's from a, a, a bog, a cranberry bog in New Jersey that's no longer operational. Um, so they don't grow cranberries there anymore. It's in South Jersey, which is uh, basically in the Pine Barrens. And the color of the water there is like tea. So the fact that it's black, that, that the water looks black is legit. Um, I actually, I jumped in here. I went skinny dipping here. It's like, there's nobody here, right? There's nobody at this place. It's an abandoned cranberry bog. I just drove on, drove in and I stayed for, I think, two nights. I just went for, for like a walk and I saw this thing and I heard this thing and it just... Look like a completely another world. Like, what if I fell in there? Like, would I go somewhere else? You know, and I and I think that's a. It just it feels like life. Um, I love. I don't this. know if that's vague or yeah. No, this is great. I mean, this one really jumped out at me um, because uh, it was in my mind the and I'm trying to do an AI compilation, but it really just looked exactly like this to me. I thought, wow, oh, wow. the hole in his van was inspiring him and i mean <laughs> it's like game over it's just it's perfect oh, it really looks so like the hole to me yeah because that's black right there by the way i mean maybe there's a little thing here but this looks black to me so this gets the effect of you don't know what's under there this isn't even the real hole void portal i mean it's not actually the same thing because it's like very different but like uh they uh i i was sort of um struck by that so to speak as i um as i looked for uh you know the, as, I, as I'm looking through Uvra, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to now um, do an AI blend of this. The problem with AI is it's just like, God, you got to do all this stuff. <laughs> like, I don't think it, it, it I don't think it, it accepts AVIF. So um, I just want the machines to do it all for me. It's really insane. It's just, okay, let's, okay. That's such and... a cool comparison. That's, uh, that's so interesting. And I, I think that's what's really important about sharing your work as an artist allow people to experience it and then like they can it can it's like almost a call and response like sure this work is finished but now it can be linked to other things that self as an artist don't even see or i'm not aware of um i think that that's that's quite important because we're so close to our work and it means so many things to us um and i think it's important once you let a work oh, once you create a, a work and you let it go it's like you just have to say goodbye to it and just allow it to be what it's going to be and whatever it becomes, you have no more control over it. So it's the process of making a work and then releasing it is the process of, of letting go. And that's so much of life, right? Like when we let go, I mean, when we hang on to stuff, we have, we have two hands that are just holding on. So if like you, if Piv, if you threw me a ball, like I can't catch it because like I'm holding on here. So I have to like let go to, to receive. And, and mm -hmm. I think that's what's so beautiful about uh, discussing work with other people. I love that. I think that's so true. And I think it's like the AI is working now. I think when you talk about the process, right, even just hearing you walk through, it's like, first of all, being physically somewhere, right? You can't, you have to be physically somewhere, at least now. You uh, observe what this literally is. But of course, in the photographic context, it's not going to look like it literally is in real life. You have the idea. Uh, and then you take the picture and then you, and then that's, you know, you, I presume you use like Lightroom or some kind of thing. And so, you know, what what about that second uh, part where the con the concept, uh, you know, is in your head, but then you also have to like translate it in a very technical way into like, you know, a... Yeah, uh, so the best part, in my opinion, of being a photographer or cinematographer is being in the moment. Like I, 
we hear so many people say like, I mean, phones are, are everywhere, right? Everybody's got a camera. Whoa, that's so interesting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> AI is Holy sick. Shit. We're dead. That's so sick. Whoa. Um, wow. Uh, that just like, that's so cool. It just spins my brain in another direction. Holy <laughs> shit, dude. That's so wild. I think the, the best part about being a photographer, cinematographer is being in the moment and and i think like what i was about to to get at before that just broke my brain for a sec was we all we all are are guilty of it like my phone's right here next to me right like so i can take a picture of of anything i want and like you'll see parents out of uh, their kids sporting event taking a bunch of pictures or you know if you're on a beautiful hike and somebody's like posing and taking a like picture and you know you hear some people say under their breath like just like live in the moment you know live in the moment and for me there is no better form of presence than when I'm capturing what I'm seeing because I'm experiencing it at such a level that I akin to meditation. And I think that process afterwards, after that, um, you're almost at such a heightened level of awareness to edit afterwards or, or dealing with the files. You know, I, I know that sounds so sterile, but they sort of pick themselves. And I wouldn't say that the edit process is my favorite. It's also not my least favorite, um, but that image, it just, I knew right then and there that I captured something special in the camera. And I think that that really helps in the second part or the uh, latter part of the process, because when you're feeling that ultimate form of presence, when you're capturing something or just know, it's, it's, it's a feeling of knowing and I knew that this was special as soon as I pulled it up on the computer. Um, and a lot of times what I do in that process is I capture and I'm just shooting for myself personally. What I love to do is I don't download the card right away that day. Sometimes I even shoot another day or two on that card and then I put it on a hard drive. I revisit it days later um, or even I just dump it on a hard drive and I revisit weeks later because I knew how I felt in that moment and what I saw and what I experienced and where my brain was. And a lot of times I write things down too. Like, so I'll write things down in the moment uh, on my phone in the notes app. So it's almost like re rediscovering that moment again, further down the line. Um, and most of my work that you see is all aside from my commercial work, which I even, I consider myself a light retoucher. I don't really even mess with, like I'm more of a documentarian. So like I'm not compost, um, not compositing images. Everything that you see in this collection and, and pretty much on Twitter, and, and everything is one image captured in camera. Well, I, I try to keep it as my mind, as natural as possible, genuine and as as representative of, as what I, I felt. I love it. I love it. A couple of things jump out of me. That's, so one is the presence and meditative, meditative aspect, being in the moment, taking photographs. I think what's interesting about that and um, promote myself, I, I do something that is artistic, uh, not in a while. So uh, this is a video of me doing uh, ceramics, and I bring this up because when people sometimes ask about ceramics, they will say, oh, wow, that looks really meditative, meditative, like doing the th thing on the wheel. It looks really meditative. And maybe it is for some people, uh, but for me, and I'll remove this now, but for me, I'm maybe if I look meditative, but in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, how am I really uh, going to pull this all uh, uh, together. So that's my experience with, with, with art. And then when I do photography, which I'm not, you know, that good at or whatever, I'm amateur. I, it's cool to take the picture, but then don't you have this thing of like, okay, well, 
you got to take another picture and another picture and you got to change something and do like the art direction aspect, like taking the picture is, is, is in some ways, you know, one side, but then, you know, even if you're not moving someone, you have to move yourself. You have to, Oh, that didn't work. I try it. Like, isn't there a sort of like, uh, like if you just walk up and take the picture, which maybe you do, I can't, you know, that would be easier, but like, you see what I'm saying? Like reshooting art directing, like, doesn't this take you out of the moment or does it put you more in? No, no, I'm not even thinking about that. I don't, Sure, the thought is like, I don't, I'm gonna have to think about it next time if that's even possible. Like, it doesn't bother me to take a picture of something and then get another angle. Like, I'm, I'm, I love digital. Like, I've shot plenty of film, I've shot some special projects on um, uh, medium format film. I, I've used 35 millimeter quite a bit. Um, but I'm, a, I consider myself a digital baby. Like, I'm, you know, I, we, we throw around the term digital native uh in web three and and i'm like man that really fits me though like i'm a i grew up on the internet pretty much maybe eighth grade on and uh, digital makes so much sense to me so i can shoot a lot without really worrying i mean sometimes i tell myself like all right like let's not shoot 200 pictures of a leaf today but uh it happens you know like especially especially like just i'd rather take the picture than not and it's easy to see like what sucks in the end like i think the freedom to be liberal with how many times you press the shutter is more freeing. Um, I don't get I don't get trapped in my thoughts, I guess, when I'm making images or or video. I just I'm literally living in it. Like I I, I like to like the reportage or like the fly on the wall type of uh, vision. So I I don't know. I just imagine myself as a viewer. Honest, I think my brain's going inside out because it just doesn't really. Don't get caught up. I just do, I guess. All right. So let me ask you this question. When you talk about it from the camera, there is, as I understand it with photography, there's like this raw file, right? And then you have to take some, but not all of the da available data from the raw file and produce a JPEG that you can look at or something that you can uh, look at. So my understanding is there's some, you know, uh, post-processing, so to speak, no matter what, if only to choose what data to uh, include. Now I have a Canon camera that has like portrait mode or you know landscape interpretation of the raw but what do you how do you just like uh do that conversion in the sort of in a way that matches your philosophy yeah i don't i'm i'm all manual i i shoot on sony system myself but i came from canon that's like what i shot for years um and yeah i just with the raw file it's like a it's like a canvas i guess you know i capture what i see and i think less about the technicals um there's certain things I like to do, certain scenes I like to underexpose, certain scenes I like to overexpose. It really depends. But for me, the emotion that you're going to find in the image is about framing. And the cameras are so beautiful now. Like the sensors are so large and pick up so much information that let's say you do screw up an exposure. Um, you can you can really bring a lot of it back. Like just looking at these images here, you rendered an AI. Like that fourth image, I would say is overexposed, but I don't hate it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, right there. Like you lose all that information, but still a nice image. You could recrop that if you wanted to, or you can, you know, but like, I wouldn't say it's an unsuccessful picture. So I think getting lost in the technicals for me is not that important, though I, I am a technical photographer, you know, I, I like certain lighting and not just out there spraying and praying as much, even though I do take a lot of pictures, I. I, I look for that beautiful sunlight, a beautiful natural and available light. I think really that's like, I, that's, it's, it's almost like um, collaborating with nature in a sense, because I let nature do so much of the work. 
I feel like I can just see or, or move myself in a certain way or reposition, capture it in its, its best light. And yeah, from, you know, from the movement of capture to making it into a JPEG, there's a bunch of technical things. I have a formula or a, or a certain preference that I like, you know, you give it like a little S curve and, you know, maybe you dial back the highlights or you push up the shadows, but that's like, that's less interesting to me. That's more like means to an end. And, and I enjoy that process too. That's also meditative. Like when I'm, when I'm editing some of these YouTube videos, like I just edited a new one, uploaded it this morning before we jumped on the chat here. And it took me all day to do yesterday. It's like a nine minute video, but like it took me all day just to edit it. And that doesn't, doesn't count the hours I, I spent filming it um, and thinking about it. You know, so I think each, each stage of the process has an interesting aspect and, and each one you kind of find your flow uh, when you're ready for it. Just like I don't want to photograph nature every single day. I may want to photograph nature today and then maybe tomorrow I'm down to edit or maybe I take a break. I think it's it's tough to distill it down into like, a, you know, and then plus Y F equals Z or, you know, like I, I don't necessarily have a formula for it. I kind of just just do it. Very cool. I myself find, I mean, I don't really do any editing, but for the podcast, I edit the opening and try to cut up something. And it is, I find that, yeah, very, very fun, very, very meditative. And um, what, out of curiosity, and this is, uh, I was even trying, what software, when you're doing a video editing thing, I actually saw a screen grab of that somewhere in your work of like the one video of yours in the editor. What software do you use to edit video? Uh, use, use Resolve. I, for years, hmm. I was like using Adobe Premiere because that's like industry standard. And like, if I do, if I do a rough cut, I can send like the file to an editor if I need like get a little help. But uh, Adobe Resolve is where you color grade in the industry. And it also has an edit suite It's free too, until you need certain things. Like, so the free version doesn't allow you to access all of the technical things like sharpening and like many different, um, many different amazing features. Uh, but once you want to upgrade, it's 300 bucks. I haven't done it yet. You know, I, I've just been using like the regular six software and I can, I can output like a 4k or just under 4k or something like that. A video. Oh, it's, so yeah. Yeah. Download now, and, right. Hey, this is free alpha for everyone who's broke yes. shorting Pepe. You just click free download now. Oh God, here we go. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you can color it too. Like, which I don't, don't know if you can do that in premiere. For me, it's just my preference. Like you had mentioned Lightroom earlier. Like I use Lightroom for years. Now I use Capture One. It's like what all the digital techs use. And I was on a job um, in the Caribbean uh, maybe two years ago, a year and a half. And the digital tech I, uh, I had brought along, Casey, she was like, you know, you should really be on Capture One. And it's cool because she's got like, she was a like very, um, very opinionated person. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just not finding the right word, but she was pushing me to use this software. And I had, I'm like, man, I don't want to use something new. I'm, I'm glad I converted. I converted and I, I, I love it so much more. So it's kind of like you just have to find your way around, ask questions, be open to what people suggest. And um, I'm highly suggesting Resolve because it's easy. There's so much shit on YouTube for you to just learn. Like I'm learning everything in Resolve. YouTube. What do like I click here? That. Not to like turn you into like the true tech advice person, but like this is my life basically in a nutshell. Uh, oh, cool. Free download of the best thing yeah. ever. Okay. Oh, seven million options. Sorry, Tom. You have to go back to, you know, whatever. Uh, this is, by the way, for the people watching this, not for me. I don't actually care about any of this, but okay. Forget think, the public beta. Yeah. I would go DaVinci Resolve 18. I think the studio is the paid for one. Oh, 
Yeah, so then you don't want to dox yourself here, you know? So you'll have to do that off screen. <laughs> when I see this, I just purely... Okay, let's get off of that. That's more for the fans at home. So, okay, so this is very uh, interesting to hear, and I agree with you on you have to do the memes, like in life. And that's what I hear, love hearing from you, because you can't go and say, okay, I'm going to try to evaluate all this stuff. It's like, no, just what's the, what are the memes? What are the people in the game uh, using? And um, this one's free, and the fact that you use the free version is even is even doper. But let's talk about, for a moment, the grandparents. Uh, one thing I loved about your site, by the way, uh, is um, is you got all your, ryanstruck.com, everyone, you've got all the projects, but then you go to Graham, and I was thinking, oh, cool, like, he does, like, Instagram stuff, but it's a real Graham. So, kids wow. out there, if you only know about Instagram, you should do some research, you'll find that there was a, a Graham that existed before Instagram, and she's your father or mother's mother anyway yeah granddaddy sorry go ahead yeah my mom's my mom's mom yeah my uh my grandma basically raised me from fourth grade on um she uh i don't know why but something just told me that i should take a bunch of pictures of her and and i knew i'd want them for the future i i guess like part of me is like do i don't know thinking back on it now like i'm just like my grandma was one of the most accessible people to me. And she was also like, this picture here is perfect. She like didn't want her picture taken. Like, but I think inside secretly somewhere she loved it. Like, so this is her couch. That's her reading the New York times. And, um, I sat down on the couch with the camera and I just like, kind of like cozied up to her and I raised the camera right away. And she just pulls the camera back, looks at me and she's like, Oh, hon, like, what are you going to do? Basically is what she's saying. She's like, you're going to take my picture now. She didn't understand photography to a degree, um, and and I I went to college. I got my BA in history, minored in archaeology. I remember before going, I told her I was like, "Hey, I like want to major in photography," and she wouldn't let me. Like I paid for my own schooling. I I put myself through college, but I still uh, I still listened to her to a, to a degree. Like you know, I was in my twenties. You know, when do you go to college? Eighteen through twenty two, whatever. I was still living at my grandma's house and. Uh, she just didn't approve of photography. I think there's a career in it. Um, and and interesting, uh, interestingly enough, my grandma, who was incredibly stubborn, didn't apologize. A couple years before she died, like two years before she died, maybe she said to me, out of nowhere, like out of nowhere, she goes, I'm "Really sorry, I didn't let you study photography." And like I said, my grandma didn't apologize. She was tough. She was stubborn. Um, she was a beautiful soul, but like that just wasn't something that often came out of her mouth and it was touching. And I said to her, I was like, that's okay. Like, it doesn't matter. I am a photographer. Like now I'm a photographer. And uh, my grandma was like my guiding light. I, I, I credit photography and my grandma with like really saving me in a way. Um, so yeah, she, she was just this beautiful person that I, I love so much and, and definitely made me who I am today in many regards and i made a bunch of pictures of her over the course of a couple of years and these are these are them i made it into a little zine i gave some to my family i gave one to my grandma um yeah, and she cried when she when she got it and yeah that that four p panel painting behind her she painted um, oh yeah it was she was she was really talented but like would never she'd be like oh it's it's like nothing like you know she she say she put herself down but maybe she didn't validate herself enough and and uh, even though she was like deeply thinking, I feel like this connection that I had with her allowed me to photograph her in ways that definitely nobody else be like, she wouldn't understand. Like, you know, it was, it was an interesting, 
interesting project, I think. And I didn't even look at it as that. I was just like, I just want these photos from, of my grandma for the future, for my family, for me. And, and I, and I just had fun doing it because I, I knew her so well. And, uh, yeah, I, I love looking at these. I'm, I'm so, so happy you, you found that. Right. I, I love it too. I didn't realize, um, yeah, the, I mean, it's incredible to hear the sort of backstory and the connection to your path as a photographer and everything. That's, that's a very, uh, it's very beautiful. And, um, and yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, awesome. just thinking about it now, I, I painted my grandma's house for my first digital camera. She, she wanted to pay me to paint the house. And, uh, I was like, no, I want a cam. Like I had a 35 millimeter camera before that. Like I want a digital camera and I forget what that was. It was like maybe the Canon 30D or something. And so I painted the house, I scraped it. I put a coat of primer and then at least two coats of, you know, the, the, the outside color. And yeah, I, I no, it's, it's funny as much as she, like, I would, I would say she didn't understand photography as a career path, you know, like she was, she was born in the thirties, you know? So like she. She thought you needed a, a nine to five job or like needed to go to an office. And, you know, whenever I'd go visit her after I didn't live there anymore, she'd like, so did you get a job? I don't know if she meant like a regular job or a photo gig, but it was always sort of a, a funny topic to talk with her because she didn't necessarily understand. But looking back on it now, like let me paint her house for a digital camera, my first digital camera ever. She, you know, it's just, yeah, it was just a beautiful soul, man. Yeah. I mean, the, um, that's also a great story because that to me also really connects, you know, the van life through line basically, because uh, here you are sanding the hole, you know, and putting the layers onto that and putting the, the spray paint on top of the hole in the van. And that's, you know, uh, not so different from the, the van life uh, way of getting the, of the camera painting uh, a house. To me, painting a house sounds way harder than repairing a hole in, in the top of the van because of the scale of the project. So um yeah that makes me feel that um you're very well equipped for for van life it's really very hard to do to paint a whole house true yeah i forgot about that till now like i don't know painting a house is less intimidating i think you just scrape it get all the chips done off and then you just you just paint it you just put music on and you you're on a ladder and you just <laughs> you just paint it it's almost mindless in a way so many people i know hate painting but i don't really mind it I guess. I love it. I should try to. Uh, I guess you do the corners first. What do they say? Corners first? Sorry, Pip, you go ahead. You, you, you're yeah, trying I, to I just, yeah. I just wondered, did you ever work work in archaeology? Yeah, I did. So yeah, be, just before I graduated college, my, uh, my archaeology professor, Professor Veit, like made a connection for me to get a job with a, a CRM uh, company, which is like a cultural resource management company. And in New Jersey, where I grew up, to get any federally, get any kind of like loan, I forget the exact technicals behind it, but to get like a federal loan or a state funded loan to build on, like, let's say you had a bunch of acreage and you want to build something commercial, you have to get it uh, surveyed first for any cultural sites. Yeah. So I got a job with that company and we would go out and we would dig these, you know, three by three holes. I hope that's the right dimensions. And I did that for a few months. Um, before I graduated school and then when I graduated school I went with them full time and I like and during my college years I worked on uh Joseph Bonaparte's uh former estate which is uh Napoleon Bonaparte's brother which is located in New Jersey and that was like one of Professor Veit's like one of his like uh big projects I think you know probably career projects I had to work on some really cool stuff but I found that once you kind of hit like the non-research sector it's mm -hmm. not it it didn't 
fascinate me as much. It was a lot of paperwork and yeah. a lot of just, it, I, I don't want to call it boring, but like to me, I was bored. It wasn't exactly what I was looking for. And don't get me wrong, I found some cool stuff. Like I found plenty of like uh, points or, you know, arrowheads. I found a quartz axe head one day, like it was just really cool, but it wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. Um, so yeah, I, I, I left that job actually. And I, I bought a ticket to Arizona and went like hitchhiking and backpacking for two weeks. So I was like, I'm out of here. And you know, I've, I, I worked in archeology span briefly, but I, I did a lot of other things for money before I became a photographer. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's an interesting, um, it's good that people have to check to make sure there's not any cool stuff that they're going to build on top of. So I'm glad to hear that exists, but I guess it can be, you know, kind of, kind of tiresome as you say. So, so a couple elements that we have not gotten into, and I want to be respectful of, uh, the time and the time of our many, many, many viewers who I'm going to ping here in the chat. Hi chat. Okay. Uh, we got two, uh, but there's a couple things I want to talk about. One, obviously is like really going into web three and just kind of saying, okay, if you are uh, watching this and you want to succeed beyond your wildest dreams as a photographer in web three, here's the exact things you will do. So that's one topic. But before you do that, AI, I am, we used AI to create an image that you found dope. I am a big believer in the power of AI and I'm also an AI doomer. I think that it's pretty much all over, even with the technology that exists today. Uh, a lot of the stuff that, you know, everything basically that we think of as being, you know, best done by a human, uh, you know, and, and I think that's exemplified by even the fact of us looking at that picture and being interested in it. But also I think both of us looking at kind of surprised, like, wow, like how did it, that's pretty good. So my question to you, we don't have to get into the Doomer thing, but, uh, you know, when you look at AI through one lens, which is a tool and through another lens, which is not necessarily like quote, unquote, replacing artists or whatever, but rather just reshaping society in potentially crazy ways or not. How do you think about it? Tool and also cultural thing that's going to be crazy or not? I don't know. And I, I, I hesitate. I wish, you know, I'm slightly embarrassed because I don't, I don't know what to think. And I wish I had an opinion on it, to be honest. Like I- Do you use it I, as a tool? Wait, do I, you said? Yeah, do you, do you use it as a tool in your- uh, No, I, I've messed with Dali extensively. Um, I mess with chat GBT a bunch. I know people who use it in many ways. That sounds incredible to me. I got to have a friend, my buddy Bosch, uh, like has bounced ideas off of chat GBT to help him code and to look through contracts. And like, that's so cool to me. That's so interesting. Um, but like, I, I don't have an exact use for it. I've made some cool art that I wouldn't be able to draw. And I've shared some of it with friends. I haven't shared any of it publicly, but. Some of my friends have been like, oh, wow, that's really great. And then other friends have been like, that looks like it belongs at Urban Outfitters. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I've, I've gotten like mixed results. And for me personally, I don't want to say never because I've learned to say that when you say never, um, it always comes back to bite you. Like my grandma actually has taught me that, you know, I used to say never, I used to be very black or white. And right now it's not a tool that I, I personally use um, in my art, though I'm sure AI is a big use in my life that I don't quite fully see. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of AI on this phone, you know, computer. I don't, I don't understand the, the technical workings behind it, but I do, I do appreciate it, and I do get wowed. Like you know, speaking back to uh, Georgina, who collected that, uh, you know, the picture of the portal, the, the piece titled uh, "In This Life." 
she has been using AI and I look at her work and I'm like, wow, that's beautiful. And she's like a traditionally uh, trained painter, you know? So yeah, these are her painting works. And then this is some of her AI mixed in too. And yeah, like all this stuff is AI. And I look at that and I'm like, that's so beautiful. It, it's like in chorus with nature, right? This is exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Exactly. Right. So isn't this, and you know, I hear you on that. And so it's like, you know, totally makes sense from, from your perspective. You don't find a use for, it, you don't see it now. But then when you look at something like this, and this is even cool for me to look at, like, isn't this completely in a way, you know, ter not terrifying in terms of like it being a bad thing, but like portending. Well, anyway, let me, let me ask you, Piv, because you recently are an artist. You recently became an artist. Now you've been an artist for a long time, but recently, and I'm not going to reveal what you did, was a secret, but you recently used AI uh, in either an art or it's like maybe it's a uh, proof or a study or something. But like uh, you actually did the thing and um, we're not going to show the image here unless Pip wants to. But like what is your what is your read on this as a newly minted uh, AI uh, exclusively AI artist? I think it's a bit the same like like Ryan. Uh, I don't really know what to do with it, but I'm, every time I'm I'm amazed by by what it does and, and what it can make and, and how it does that. But also, I don't really know how, what, what, what the use case is. Yeah, I feel that. Well, what's well, the use is... case of a digital camera, you know? I don't know. Anyway, go, go on. Sorry, you say, Ryan. No, what the uh, use case is... is for me. But... Oh, for you. Got it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I feel similar. I've, I, you know, I first, for a while, now this is a painting here. She painted this with, with paint and a brush. Um, but for a while, like as, AI was really becoming accessible. And I was like, man, there's gotta be some way I could use this. And like, I tried and I was almost forcing myself to be like, I'm seeing all these beautiful works. And I'm like, could this be appropriate for me and my work? And I tried and I tried, but I don't know. It might be one of those things too, that just marinates too, because I think AI can be really interesting, but also, you know, like, I mean, it's like the elephant in the room. I mean, uh, Elon Musk has been talking so much about AI and I, I saw some recent interviews where he thinks it's gonna like, rule humans and i mean i have friends who think that it's going to overthrow the government like i mean who knows exactly what's going to happen like releases also like could it just be like a, a big buzz and like maybe those things are really not going to happen like just be like the next big hot button topic that people just want to talk about like honestly i don't know i feel like i'm still trying to learn all about it and no oh, what what do you think i mean what's i think that about? yeah i think that the rate of change and even the thing as it is today um you know, if people are using the thing optimally now, it's just like, yeah, like a lot of the stuff that we thought you had to be a human to produce and not like the backstory and everything. And, the you know, it's like art is much more than the visual element to it, of course. But the visual element makes a big difference. And if something, if a ton of things we thought only humans can do can be done by uh, humans in a different way by writing down what they want. And for me personally, I look at it from the coding standpoint, which is maybe the most extreme thing. Uh, where it's just, it really knows a lot about programming. It really can do it. Like if you open an app, you know, like I was working on something the other day, it was kind of like a guest list uh, app. Okay, so like I want to sign up for this app and I want to, um, you know, if I sign up, I give someone a code, they can invite other people. It's just like some toy thing I was working on. You type that in and it just says step-by-step, step, here's exactly, you know, what to do. And um you know, that's a simple toy uh, thing, but a lot of programming is dealing with like the basic stuff is Googling, like how exactly to do that? What do I do? My point basically is that uh, in not so much time, if the thing can program, you know, what is, uh, <laughs> what am I going to do? Uh, and I'm, you know, kind of half kidding, but it is a, uh, uh, 
anyway, not super eloquent. I have never seen anything uh, like it. Here is uh, maybe and this didn't turn out as well, I think, uh, with the wow. hole in it. Uh, but I also just did it in one second. So, you know, you could imagine playing around with this kind of thing and it being like super dope or whatever. And so um, I, I just sent something in our chat. Can you pull this one up? Little March? Yes. Did you see it? Or not? Oh, I've seen this before. Piv shared. No, I'm saying, I'm saying, like Piv said, do you see it? Or I thought you were saying there's like some kind of hidden element to this picture. Or is there? Are you frozen? <laughs> it looks frozen on my end. This is uh, iconic Piv bad internet connection <laughs> thing. Right when we're on the verge of seeing something. I mean, this is dope. I can do Google image search for this. Okay. This just, this just, I feel like went viral, or it was in my feed a lot. I remember seeing this quite a bit. Oh, is this like AI that won a competition type meme? Yes. Oh, indeed. Okay. Wow. And, yeah. Uh, so, but but I think it's a nice picture. But I when I saw it, I thought, yeah, of course, this is AI. Oh, come on. Certainly, yeah. certainly the the woman behind. Don't it? It's really like typical AI. I think not the first one, but the woman behind. Don't you think something in that? Well, I don't phase know. That, that says AI to me. But this is given like the sort of retro treatment anyway. So I think I'm more forgiving. Yeah. Like, I don't know how people look back then or whatever. But yes, I, I see what you're saying. Um, if it's not articulatable what you're saying, like because Bonner, another amazing photographer who uh, graced us, Bonner had a uh, a good theory on it. His theory was basically the skin doesn't get fucked up, messed up enough. It's not, it's too good. Okay. And then... There was a one where the skin did look messed up enough, but then he said, Bonner said, the eyes are too good. The eyes are too clear. The eyes are are too uh, whatever. And I, what I liked about that was there was some kind of theory behind it. Uh, the sort of more finger to the wind of does it look AI? It's like, I don't know, you know, if you... Uh... But yes, the point being, Piv, I think this is perfect because the point is simply this. There are such things called competitions. And in the competitions, they, you know, it's the same thing as like auditioning for an orchestra. They put a... A curtain right across you so they can't see you when you're auditioning for the orchestra i think the competition is explicitly saying we just want to see the image i would guess i don't know anything about competitions actually but i would guess they judge on the basis of the image they don't want to know your backstory your life story all this kind of stuff and so at the very least you can imagine a world where ai wins every single competition ever of this sort and still people like art because art goes beyond the visual of course but uh that would still be pretty freaking interesting right like imagine you're a student you know you're you're what do you, what, what craft do you want to pick up you know so depends uh, on who the judges are is the judge an ai I, you know if, if the judge is an ai maybe then uh the ai is always going to pick the ai no you'll need the judge as an ai to pick out the humans because only they'll be able to spot the humans <laughs> i mean but yeah, but then can you trust them? Like what? Like maybe they have an agenda. There's the AI agenda to only elevate AI. Yeah, but the AI would be, their agenda would be like to elevate humans enough that, that we put it even more place of power and whatever. Like this is the, but yes, I think, um, I think you also highlight something, which is how do you pick a winner for a photography contest, even without AI, like maybe in like the 1960s or something, you could like actually judge this because everyone was on a level playing field. But now people all over the world, all types of cameras, all types of post-processing. Like, how do you literally just like straight up, like judge this, you know, like. It's, it's subjective kind of anyway. I mean, competition like this is subject. Whoa, that bird picture was cool. Yeah, that's cool. I, uh, I don't know. Competition is such a funny kind of rabbit hole because especially in photo and, and art, it's like, who's to say, 
that this is better than 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 the rest you know i don't know fascinating great meme did they get disqualified for this pib or how, what is your meme on this yes uh i don't really know the story but there was indeed it was a, a little scandal yes because then he he made it i think he came out with it saying it was it was some kind of a statement but then they they didn't really like it so he was disqualified yeah but also he said he didn't want the prize that's funny that's what i'm gonna start saying every time anything bad happens to me yeah oh, that was my goal that was my goal yeah, yeah right okay <laughs> So we got the AI thing. We got the Doomer thing. I want to thank you, Piv, for bringing in an extra element beyond just my, uh, you know, internal struggle. This is a real piece of content that you experienced here, which is the AI thing winning and then getting disqualified intentionally to to sort of wrap things. Uh, not wrap wrap. To get towards it, let's get to the Web three. And what I really want to do is uh, look at it from a very crass perspective. Okay, and I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this one, just popping this open because this is uh, obviously we could have looked at this on your site, but we're doing Web three, so we're going to look at it on OpenSea. And, um, you know, I want to talk a little about this because I think this is a really dope one and also curious, like what TV, if any, you have now or that you like, but I want to look at this and I will look broadly and I want to be crass. And I just want to say, okay, it's not easy. Web three. A lot of people think it's the easiest thing ever in history. It's not. Uh, you've clearly had a diversity of experiences here, not just in terms of putting your stuff out and selling your stuff, but also, you know, meeting, collaborating with people, buying people, you know, just like the whole thing. Uh, I want to start with this what we're seeing here and then jump into, okay, I'm watching this. I want to succeed as a photographer in web three exact roadmap with tips and tricks. But first a little bit about the TV series. Um, yeah. So the TV series was something I just started like for fun. I mean, I, I literally that one on the top middle picture was the first one I actually photographed on 35 millimeter film. And, um, I was just driving down the road and I saw it out of the corner of my eye and I, I literally laughed. I was like, there's a TV on the side of the road. Don't know why, but I was just possessed to like get out of the car. I stopped the car, I pulled it over, and and I took a picture of it. And that just started this quest for TVs, and found it was um, a project that I did in between other things. So it was kind of like something that just like ran in the background of my mind. And like if I saw a TV and it looked interesting, I would pull over, take a picture, or if I was walking down the street, I'd take a picture. Um, now this and, is not ordinary film, right? Sorry to interrupt you, but this looks weird. Yeah, that's Aerochrome. Um, it's basically the rarest film stock on earth. Uh, it, it's an, an infrared color film, it turns all the vegetation pink or red, depending upon the filter you use. Originally saw it uh, used by Richard Moss in the Congo. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but that, that work is really, really interesting. And he was using it in conflict. So like he was using it in the Congo. Yeah, this stuff. So obviously I'm not making a statement with, with, with my work. I, I did a, a project photographing with this film also, but it's 120 millimeter film. I think he was using four by fives also, uh, but it's just really special. It's really powerful. And, uh, I mean, literally this, this work has inspired like a VSCO LUT in like the app. Like you can use an infrared, uh, preset basically um but yeah so i was just i was seeing these tvs and i've seen them everywhere i go and and i think it was maybe a six year long project i i still photograph it i mean it's still ongoing i still see tvs i saw a really dope one last year that i took a picture of that i haven't released the photo um but it's it became this thing where i started thinking that like is this am i photographing this in relation to myself and and then i started thinking about it in the future and i thought 
Man, this is such a weird project. I don't know if people are going to understand this, but like it didn't matter. Like it, it eventually started to become this series of images, TVs, that I thought 20 years from now, this will at least be important because we're going to thin TVs. We're going to like, you know, OLED TVs, like, like TVs are like this thin. I was in Best Buy like the, like the couple months ago and they were like so tiny and, and our screens have become phones, you know, they've become laptops, which I'm on now. And like, I, I haven't owned a TV in my adult life. Um, when I was a kid, I would, I would stay up and watch the news till like 10 PM or 11, like, you know, or something like that. Like I had a relationship with TV. Like, you know, I, I had VHS, like I watched movies and stuff, but I don't watch TV now, though I do think that certain things have replaced TV, Netflix or YouTube, Amazon Prime video, you know, like our TVs have completely changed. And I mean, I live in a van, so there's no space for a TV, but um, I'm staying with friends now. There's a TV here, but I'm not watching it, you know, like, so I think this project is as much a statement about who I am as an artist, as well as a statement about um, pieces that are so integral to American society. I mean, like think about Super Bowl Sunday, where is everybody? Everybody's gathered around the chip bowl and the TV. And when the TV's off, like you, maybe you're sitting on the couch having an intimate conversation with your significant other, or you know, it's a birthday party and everybody's blowing candles out on the cake. And like the TV is kind of always there. It's like a steadfast piece. And when they get old though, you just throw them out. It's like a friend. It's like your best friend that you just throw away get for the the latest and greatest and um yeah it became this this special project and i mean i released it uh on my website and all that and then i thought maybe it was one of the most appropriate ones to bring to web3 because we're all on screens to begin with and yeah i mean the collection sold out and and uh it's in the hands of a, a lot of interesting collectors and i just think it's cool that people resonated enough with it to want to spend their eth on it and Oh, I think it's it's beautiful. It's it's also on foundation. I think that's the beauty of it. It's like on a manifold contract, you know, to to get to the nerdy aspect of it. Um, it's creator controlled, and I don't know. It's it's just like I said earlier. It's kind of fun to just make the work and then release it into the world, and whatever people think it is, that's what it is. I mean, it's funny because you mentioned like you know the TV, uh, like the Super Bowl Sunday thing. You know, I think that's true, but also part of that rings as like kind of like a bygone era. You could have been describing the 90s. Like I remember when Super Bowl Sunday was like, you know, because to me, I think it's like people don't even look at the TV. <laughs> you know, the TV, if you can look at the TV for 10 minutes straight, you are like a monk, you know, because of the phone thing. So I look at the, right. the, the TV, throwing out the TV as uh, maybe part of this broader the TV, just, you know, it's funny because also you mentioned Best Buy, which jumps in my head is like Best Buy is like literally the opposite of Home Depot. Like going into Home Depot, <laughs> you're like, oh my God, like all this stuff could happen so much that I'm intimidated by it. I can't even do it. Walking to Best Buy, you're just, oh God, I know how everything in here works and it's all terrible and there's spyware on it. And so that's a disaster. So, okay, uh, this sold out. I guess it sold out here or on Foundation. You mentioned, I'm looking at Foundation. Uh, you know, pretty good deal, right? I'm sure there are a lot of people like to be crass about it again. I'm sure there are a lot of people taking photos uh, that don't get paid uh, 0.15 ETH for them, uh, you know, and I'm sure you've done many, many things that are sick and just as good as this, or who knows that did. So how do you translate uh, one into uh, the other? What are your tips for people who are trying to be you, literally be you? Okay, so first tip is don't try to be me because you won't get it right. Uh, everybody's path is unique. And 
think once you learn to embrace the things that you love and realize like, as you try to do things like other people, the more that you can provide an example of inspiration for others. Like, I believe that inspiration, I mean, we all borrow from each other, right? We all have these ideas that uh, aren't solely our own, let's say. And I think the point is to, to plug and play and to remix it what makes sense for you as an artist, as a creator. If you want to do something, go and do it. And if it makes you feel weird, all the more better. Like, do you know how weird I felt? Like taking pictures of televisions in the garbage? I was like, I used to laugh at myself. You know, I still do. I'm like, man, this is so weird. Like, like I've learned to embrace those things that are like a little strange. Like the the picture that you used uh, for like our podcast podcast episode, the picture of the garbage can. Like I used to photograph empty garbage cans on the beach in Rockaway Beach when I lived there. And it was the weirdest thing ever. And I, I used to see them piled with trash. And I was like, no, I'm gonna take pictures of empty garbage cans. I would do it by myself. And like, I would just laugh at myself. And seriously, I didn't share these pictures. And once I started sort of just like showing people on my phone or being like, hey, like people are like, oh, what have you been doing? I'm like, I don't know, I've been taking pictures of garbage cans. like. And like, I was sort of shy about it. And my friends are like, whoa, these are really cool. Um, I think it's really, you just have to do those things that inside your mind is telling you to do. And, or maybe your heart is telling you to do them and your mind is like judging you for it. Those weird, strange ideas or, or interests are really what gonna propel you forward. You know, the, the, the basic formula, and it sounds over reductive, but I swear it's true. Like you just need to create work you believe in that you love that's for yourself and release it out into the world. That's what attracts these things that are meant for you. You know, it's, it's that simple. I love that. I love that. I love that. I'm not sure. You re I mean, I think it's beautiful to say, uh, and I think your experience, it's funny. Just like, yeah, my experience, when I always, I think about this, like, it's like, I feel like it's just so hard to, uh, to match what you love with the world. But I think part of that is maybe you've just got to commit and do it long enough. And then after a time, they'll say, oh my God, that played out garbage can thing. When in the beginning they were saying, are you, what, you, what is that? Or you were even saying that to yourself. So I think that's like a, uh, there's a kind of like, don't, uh, don't give up element maybe uh, as well, perhaps, would you say? Yeah, definitely. It's like, uh, you know, artists, being art is one of the most vulnerable things I think I've experienced in my life because who we have plenty of self judgment. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you call yourself an artist or not, like everybody's going to second guess themselves or like, you know, is this the right career path for me? And I'm not even talking about being a photographer, like, or is this, should I, uh, if people make a car purchase, should I make, should I buy this car? Should I get that one? Like you're going to second guess. You're going to wonder if you made the right decisions. And, and, and as an artist, I've I experienced that even more so, you know, like I, I'm my, my own worst critic. I think the more that I, I let up on myself, the more I am forgiving with who I am as a person, both personally, and creatively, I think I wa I've been walking down the right path that's for me. And, and by doing that, there's a, you build a bit of resolve and, and a bit of grit, I'd say, that gives you the confidence to know like, okay, I want to take a picture of this alleyway or like, I want to take a picture of this person or I'm just going to go film myself hiking in Hawaii. Like I think where you, you, you at least try more, you know, whether you're creating is for you or not. And if you look at yourself as the end user, if I'm not creating art for Piv, 
for uh, middle merch. Like I'm creating art for me, myself. And, and if I'm happy with that, I think that I'm confident enough to share it with the world that that vulnerability is part of the process. I love that. And by the way, this was a little bit of a trick for every you and everyone watching. Every piece of advice you just gave, especially this forgiving yourself thing, is also advice to anyone who did not buy the meme coin Pepe, because you're probably <laughs> feeling down. You're probably depressed. You got to forgive yourself and be vulnerable uh, and move on. And, and that's basically our show. You know, there's going to be the the small stuff that we have to do, the housekeeping, the fun keeping, uh, as I call it. But in terms of the mainline questions, I really think we knocked this one out of the park, Piv. Is there anything else we can uh, ask before we get into the fun keeping? Maybe just how how did you get into it, in, into Web3? We didn't really talk about that. Like from being filmmaking yeah i uh a good friend of mine because uh, were you were you selling photography before web3 too i mean as as art not as a commercial um i wasn't i don't sell that many prints i don't market myself that way necessarily i think it goes back to just declaring myself a digital baby i don't honestly i don't even like selling prints i sold pieces i've, I've sold some big pieces Private, pe private collectors, I've participated in uh, group gallery shows, I've had my own solo shows. Like I'm mm -hmm. not knocking it, like I, I like it. It's There's something really incredible and, and exciting and validating as an artist to see your work in print big on a wall and to have like make it an event and people come and experience it and you interact and talk with people. That's like a whole other level. Um, making and minting it on Ethereum or or, or making it into an NFT mm -hmm. just makes so much sense for me. And I don't know if this is like, because I live in a van and I don't have room for stuff, but like having ability to store art on a digital wallet, if insecure is so up my alley, like it just makes so much sense to me. I didn't really collect art before this. Like I, I didn't even print my own work and put it on my walls in my own apartment. Like, you know, like I appreciate art. I, 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 I you mentioned the MoMA like before, like I, I love the MoMA and stuff, but. This is the first time I've ever collected work. It's really cool um, and really interesting. It's just like the fact that NFTs can be this digitally contained world allows me to come and go, I think, my leisure and on my own terms. And there's something about that that I really appreciate. And it felt like a natural step to just bring my, my fine art, bring my personal work, I guess, is, is a better is a better way for me to qualify it. Like my, to bring my personal work to the blockchain in this manner is really been a dream. You know, I don't show any of my commercial work in web three. It's, it's work I do for brands or agencies. It's, it's got a specific purpose many times. Um, but my personal work has been a place has never really found a place to be until web three. And, and, and it's, you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, but it's, uh, it feels good as an artist to have a home here. Mm -hmm. Great. And with that, very, uh, very beautiful sentiment and very beautiful question from Piv. And I asked Piv if you had any other questions too, so I get credit too. That has been the Capsule 21 Podcast, episode 34. It's been an amazing time. And the good news is if you are listening to this or better still watching this, you are next. And also we are next week coming at you with another episode. Again, Capsule 21 Podcast. I'm Middlemarsh, my co-host is Piv, our amazing guest has been Ryan Strzok, and we are doing an episode a week. They are not going to be as good as this one because we're not gonna have luminaries and all of them. Sometimes there won't be a guest. 
Could one be better than this one? I have no idea. Once every week, probably not. Please join us again. We're next and you are next. And that is it. Capsule 21 out.